live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric Bilstead, it is a sign of age. I, I still have most of my hair and all of my teeth. But um, there was a time when I used to be able to stay out till 2 o'clock in the morning, go home, the alarm would go off at 6, get up, go to work, spend the whole day at work, come home, go out, stay out till 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and do it all again. Those I, were I, great days, weren't I, they? I, I, there used to be ah, a yes. moment, um, but it, that moment is no more. I, <laughs> I, 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 was, I was actually kidding around because I, I, I sent this out on, on Twitter last night. I am legitimately glad for Monday to come so I can go to work and I can just dial it down a little bit. This this last weekend was just flat out exhausting. It, mm-hmm. and, it, and I kind of eased into it. Friday afternoons, my wife and I, we play golf. That's kind of our thing. We have like a, a tea time at 410. So I get off the air at 3, rush home, change my clothes, rush out. We play golf. Cool. And then we, it, it's nice. It's something we do together. And then we have dinner. So that's nice. Nice way to spend Friday. Saturday got up to typical Saturday morning things, and then we went to the concert at Lambeau Field. So a lot of fun. I'll I'll tell a more detailed story about that in just a minute. But we took a bus up there, so it was kind of cool. The bus left, well, went and hooked up where we were going to meet the bus at 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 2.30, and they had a cookout and stuff. Bus left at 4, got there around 6, walked around, you know, for the two hours before the concert, went in, saw the show. It was great. Uh, McCartney plays for three hours and so he started about eight fifteen. so the concert ends at eleven fifteen. bus leaves at midnight to come back to milwaukee so i end up getting home about 2 30 in the morning mm-hmm. okay well you know all right i'm 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 still fine everything's good um and it was my grandson's birthday his 13th birthday was saturday so the family was going to the ball game to miller park and of course because it's Kristen Yellick's bobblehead day and oh, it's yeah. a complete sellout. They're telling everybody get there early. So, all right, that means that, you know, we leave for the ball game like 1045 or something like that. So I haven't gotten home. I mean, I didn't get to bed. I didn't get home till 2.30. So you get to bed about 3. You dragging a bit? Oh, yeah. So then you go to the ball game. Oh, yes. Yeah. So by the time by the time we get back home like 5 or 6 o'clock last night, I'm just flat out <laughs> exhausted, you know? And it's like my wife is saying, you want something to eat? Uh, you know, it's like, yeah. I just like, it's all I can do to like not pass out on the couch. And I don't mean pass out because I've had too much beer. I mean pass out because I can't keep my eyes open. But it was a wonderful weekend and lots of great stuff going on. But it is a sign of age because... I freely admit I'm dragging. <laughs> you know, I, and enjoying your break. Absolutely today right. Monday, e- yeah. Exactly. No, it was kind of like, okay, so like last night, it's like, all right, I want to get the show all ready. So I spent about two hours last night kind of, you know, doing the research and stuff so I could sleep in a little bit uh, this morning. But yeah, it's, it's good. But that's the way it's supposed to be in Wisconsin in the summertime. All yeah. sorts of great things mm-hmm. going on. Um, speaking of the McCartney concert, this is where I want to start because there is a question of etiquette. And it's something I think it's interesting as we move into the concert season. Let me say this. I think the kids should have sat down. All right, here is the story. 
Um, we get to the McCartney concert. There were there were six of us, three three couples. And here's the deal: we are there four seats together, and then the other couple we went with, Tom and Christy, their couple rows back. We're in the club seats. Um, we are in the second row of the club seats. Now, here I will describe the first row. The first row seats one to ten. Seat one, which is the one like on the inside, seats one through three have three guys in them who I would say are in their early 20s, one of whom smoked pot the entire concert. <laughs> All right. Next to the three guys in their 20s, there's a, a girl in her early 20s who I think might be the sister of one of the guys. I can't quite tell the, the relationship, but she's in her young early 20s. Then to her right, I think, are are her parents. That's kind of the sense I get. And then there's four other people going across. Okay, so that's the first row. The three guys in their early 20s, the one who's smoking pot the whole show, the gal, I think their parents, and then four others. All right, the second row, on the very inside, seats one and two are two older women. I would say they are in their mid-70s, one of them clearly had mobility issues and by by that i mean like when when she would get up to like go to the bathroom or go wherever she could barely move all right so she was she was clearly struggling to move all right so they're in the first two seats and then it's my friend susan and evan and it's me and fran and then it's four other people including the two people next to us that come down from canada to see the mccartney show it's kind of interesting so that's it then you've got the rest of the club seats that are moving back all right so paul mccartney a, a legend great show if you ever get a chance to see mccartney do it over three hours of music, no breaks, no nothing, no backup singers. You know, a lot of the times you see these older performers and they they, they have backup singers to kind of hit some of the notes that they have trouble with. You know, the other guys in the band sang, but I mean, it's not like he had an army of backup singers and stuff. And McCartney's voice was a little bit raspy, but who cares? I mean, he put on a heck of a show. Okay, so so here's that. That's the deal. This is the configuration. All right, the three guys in the front row, decided that they wanted to stand up for a good portion of the show. So they stand up. Now, the problem is that people behind us, now they're really not standing up in front of me, so this isn't my beef, but they're standing up in front of these two older women, one who clearly had mobility issues, who can't stand. I mean, this woman's not going to be able to stand for the whole concert, so they're blocking her way. I'm also looking in the back, and nobody in our section of the club seats is standing as a general rule. There might have been you know, one or two songs where people would get up and dance, but generally speaking, everybody is sitting down except for these three guys who are in these three young guys who are in the front row who are dancing around and the one guy who's smoking pot and the girl who's next to them who is up and down but but doing a bunch of dancing as well now like i say these people are all it's really not affecting me because they're all not in front of me but the lady who is one from the end who one who can't in who can't get up you know they're blocking her and I'm kind of watching this go on. And at one point in time, she asks the guy in front of her if he can sit down because she can't see. And at first, the guy sits down. And then he pops up again, and they're dancing. And she asks him to sit down again. And he gets up, and he's dancing again. So 
she's getting a little more aggravated, and I didn't hear all this. My my wife says she did. She finally says, you know, something direct, sit down, nobody can see around you. At which point in time, the young girl, the one who's like 20-something, turns around and starts screaming at this older woman about, I paid my money for this seat, and if we want to dance, we'll dance, etc., etc., and and really kind of got into this older woman's face. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And by the way, like I say, there nobody else in in this section that we were in was standing up. It's only these three or four people. Uh, with the exception of maybe when he plays, you know, one of the one of the big songs or something like that. But almost everybody else is sitting down. These four three and four they're, they're standing up and they're blocking this woman's leg and she can't physically stand up there's just no question about it. she's not going to be able to stand for the whole show so the young girl screams at the old lady you know yeah you, sh- you know we want to we paid for this space and if we want to stand and we want to dance we want to dance okay 414-799-1620 that's the accident mortgage talk and text line it's not the symphony it's a paul mccartney concert okay get that so if these people in the front row wanted to stand and dance for the entire course of the show, even if they were blocking everybody else's view in that section, were they right to do that? It is a concert. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment what's the appropriate etiquette. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, so that's the scenario. How should this, what should have happened here? Were the kids, and I'm saying kids, they're in their young 20s, early 20s. They decided that they want to stand up. They knew that they were blocking the view of the, the people in this section behind, you know, in the entire section. But in particular, you have this older lady who, who couldn't stand. I mean, it wasn't just like here, I'm going to stand up to look around them. She was not physically able to do this. So, all right, they decided to dance, and their attitude was, we paid our money. What do you think? Dave in Green Bay. Dave, you're on WTMJ. Well, I worked uh, security at the concert, and I will tell you that the promoters, we asked the question if that would happen, and the promoters said they did not want us to tell anybody to sit down. Mm-hmm. So if they would have uh, um, complained, you know, we might have said, well, could you be courteous and, you know, try to work with the people behind you. But, uh, you know, the being in the second row is not the first row. So it, it, it decorum. But you know, see, that's, I guess that's more what I want to talk about. I mean, I, I the from the perspective without getting, you know, the security involved. Do you think that the three people, the four people I'm describing, knowing that they were ruining the enjoyment for a lot of people in that section, do you think that they should have stood up and danced and it, it, they shouldn't have cared whatever everybody else thought? Well, to, to a point, because uh, I will tell you that down on the stage level where I was, yeah, everybody in the front row stood up pretty much yeah in the field there's from, no there's from, no question if yeah. you're on field level you know you go to pretty much any concert you better expect that you're going to be standing through the entire thing right that that's just i think the reality what was different about this is in the section i was in up in the club level nobody was standing except for these four kids four 20 yeah, or something then they should have got, want, gone off to the side or maybe offered to trade places with the lady yeah, you know, and I and I just want to throw in as far as the pot smoking. If, if you would have texted that number that's up there, 
or or got yeah. an usher, we would have had the police up there, and they would have been taken out. Oh, that that would have been. That's what I should have said. Hey, the guy's smoking pot, lady. Text the thing; they'll take him out we, for you. They, they would have. <laughs> we, we we had we had some great law enforcement people there, and they would have come up there, and they probably would have arrested him. Oh, thanks. No, see, I did. I, I was just I was kind of watching this whole thing evolve. Other than, again, look, I, the, the promoters can decide if people want to stand. And I understand this is what makes this difficult because it's 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 not the symphony. I mean, I understand it's a concert. People get up and dance. I will say this, though, whether these, as I often say, if even if you have the right to do something, it doesn't make it the right thing to do. I thought it was extremely rude for these four people to decide that they were going to do this and gee we're, we're happy and we're having fun and especially given the fact that like i say even if they wanted, didn't care if they were inconveniencing everybody else in the section that the people immediately behind them they weren't able to stand that was just the reality but that's just me 414-799-1620 i just thought it was i thought it was rude and i thought they were being a punk a group of punks dave and waukesha dave you're on wtmj hey jeff how you doing real well thank you what do you think well, I mean, I've been to more concerts than I care to count. And, I mean, there's there's certain protocol. I mean, if the whole, if there's a song that comes up and everybody stands right. up, that's one thing, all right? But when you get, you know, some obnoxious one, two, or three people, which happens, used to happen to me all the time, and always they were in front of me. Right, yeah. You know, and, and I don't feel like standing the whole damn time, feeling whatever. Um, it's, just, it's just rude and obnoxious. And, they, and there's a couple times when, I literally had a confrontation. I said, you know, if you don't want to sit down, I'll make you sit down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, no, I mean, I, I, obnoxious is a good way, you know, I mean, I think a good way to put it. And and they knew what they were doing, you know, and I mean, they, they knew what they were doing and they didn't care. And I, I remember thinking when this young girls turn around yelling at the older lady, I wanted to say, darling, I mean, here's the reality. You know, 50 years from now, you're going to be that lady, you know, and, and karma yeah. has a way and it's, it's going to happen a lot quicker than you think. And karma has a way of really being a you know what. You know, well, so. yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's it's really, you know, it just takes somebody to put them in their place. And, and um, you know, I understand the protocol with security. I mean, they can't, you know, there's always... Right. And, and it is a concert. Um, right. No, thanks for calling. No, it, and, it, and it is a concert. I, I get it, this idea that, okay, here, I'm here, and we, we want to get out, and we want to dance, and we have a good time. There, and, and like I say, on the field, look, if, if I go to Jimmy Buffett concerts, if you go to a Jimmy Buffett concert, um, and especially like in your, you're at MGM Grand where he plays in Vegas and you're on the floor, people stand for the entire show. So if you're not prepared to do that, well, okay, then maybe you want to find, you know, other seats. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Grant at Wauwatosa. Grant, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Grant. Uh, my- I had friends in from California last week, and we went to the Brewers game on Thursday. A beautiful day. Right, okay, the day game, yep. We were along uh, third baseline there, but we had a a few people standing directly in our line to the batter, so we couldn't see the batter. Right. But we were going to say something, but the usher came along, and he, on his own, just asked people to sit down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so they were standing the whole game, not just standing. You know, I mean, obviously, there's times in Brewers games where everybody stands up at some of like the key moments yeah. and stuff. But they were just standing for the sake of standing. Yeah, yeah. It was not during the key moments because we stood up for the key moments sure. too. But uh, I just talked to the usher though, and he says, you know, this is a pet peeve of mine, and uh, I know it bothers people, so I just go around and ask people to sit down. So I right. thought. 
he was really good. I uh, commended him for his yeah the, the job right. he was doing. Yeah, no, thanks for calling again. See, I mean that that's the same thing. I know what you're saying. Um, at that awful game on Tuesday night that they lost sixteen to nothing. I wasn't sitting in the, the reg- my regular season second season seats. I was way down the third baseline. But I know exactly what you mean. All you all you need is three or four people to stand up, and they end up blocking the view of of like several hundred people, you know, to home plate. And again, that's the same battle. I understand you paid for the tickets, and and I appreciate that you want to get involved in this. I just the, the rules are the rules. I just thought these four kids, and I said kids are in the early twenties. I just thought, man, you know, you're you're just being a bunch of jerks. And, and even even if the promoters want people to be able to dance where you're sitting and where you're dancing, you are inconveniencing a lot of lot of people, and you're especially inconveniencing the two people behind you who now aren't able to see the scene stage because you want to wiggle your butt to you know he saw her standing there. Let's talk to Christine in Milwaukee. Christine, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi, Christine. I am an usher at a certain venue. Okay. And here's the process. You keep an eye on things, and you go down the first time, and you say, excuse me, everybody paid for a ticket in this section, so I need to have you sit down. Okay. Okay, they sit down. Second time, you go down with your supervisor. That's your second warning. Third time you have to go down, you're gone. Okay, so you, you so so you would have you would have said, "Look, I you, I don't care if it's a concert. I want you sitting down because nobody behind you can see." Well, especially because she was screaming at this older woman. Yeah, she did. Screaming gets you thrown out on the first warning, so that doesn't even count. Yeah, but yeah, you and an usher's job is to keep an eye on this, like what what happened to the gentleman at the Brewer game. People watch out for that because everybody bought a ticket. Right. Now, as for the pot smoking. Jeff, 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 shame on you for not making that call. Yeah, well, I didn't. I, I admit, I, I did not. I did not make that particular call. I, oh, I, I'm guilty. We need to talk. Guilty on that. Well, uh, guilt, uh, guilty on that. I did not okay. make that particular call. But if you were the usher, you would have had them. Uh, you, you would have said, "You got to sit down because you're interfering with the experience of everybody else." Absolutely. And when she screams, "I paid for a ticket," well, so did those two women. Yeah, they paid for tickets and they get to see the concert. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for see. Now that's kind of my way. That's kind of the way I. I look at this as well, and maybe it depends a little bit on the concert. Like this wasn't affecting me directly because I, I, I was, I, I had a, I had a view. And candidly, when people stand up in front of me, if I want, I can stand up. All right, I am physically able to stand up, and I'm six foot one, and I can see over most people. So now, now if I stand up because somebody else in front of me is is standing up. I might be blocking the people behind me, but sorry, I'll sit down as soon as the folks in front of me sit down. But in this particular case, this lady just flat out could not stand for any length of time. Beyond all that, though, interesting story of the interaction and a great concert. No question about it. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Seventy-two degrees outside. Maybe summer is finally here. All right. One of the recurring themes on this program that we talk about in various, various ways, shapes, and forms is the fact that it is dangerous to be out on the roads. Lots and lots of bad drivers out there. Lots and lots of reckless driving. And how many times in a given week are you out driving on the road and some jack wagon blows through the stop sign, blows through the red light? 
passes on in the bicycle lane driving three times the speed limit and and darn near creates some collision somewhere, almost hits a pedestrian, almost hits you. How many times in a given week does that happen to you and you say, God, I wish there was a cop somewhere? Well, the problem is we, we don't have enough police officers to monitor everywhere. We, we just don't. That is the reality. And you have a lot of dangerous, reckless drivers that are out there. In some cases, it's just people that are bad drivers. In other cases, it's people who are criminals who are driving without licenses or driving stolen cars. And in other cases, it's just people who do not care. In a number of states, what they do as a way of trying to, I don't know, help the police – is there are a number of intersections in a number of different states, for example, that are monitored by the so-called red light cameras. What the red light cameras do is that they will they will take pictures of cars going through intersections. And under certain circumstances, now what they do in Chicago is they set this, that if somebody goes through, for example, a red light, all right, it'll take the picture of the car. They are amazingly good at capturing the license plate. Now, it's not perfect because sometimes there's not license plates, but capturing the license plate. And oftentimes you can get a picture. The picture will also pretty much identify who is behind the wheel. And then what will happen is if if that's your car, a ticket will be sent to the registered owner of that vehicle, and then the registered owner has to either pay the ticket, or if you want to argue that it was somebody else, well, you got to show up and you got to say who that that particular person was. These are used in a number of states, and in some cities, Chicago in particular, for example, they they've been particularly um, uh, effective. The folks in Chicago argue that they believe that in intersections that have these red light cameras, there's been about a 20% decrease in life-threatening collisions where you you have the the T-boning effect, the side crashes, people that are running the red lights. Now, there are some people that argue this is a bad thing. The reason against this is, first of all, um, it's it's a revenue-generating thing because you're going to get the ticket and you're going to have to pay, and otherwise you wouldn't get the ticket. And some people believe it's just fundamentally unfair to use technology about this. What about the right to challenge your accuser? Well, this isn't a one where you can have a police officer who says, I was running radar and this is the number. All you have to do is say, they're going to say, hey, this is the picture of you in the camera, and you are essentially going to be presumed guilty. I bring this up because Texas has become one of a handful of states to reverse the red light camera thing and say we're not going to do this. In Wisconsin, the law does not allow red light cameras or speed cameras. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Feel free to disagree with me, but given all the bad driving that is out there, I would fully support the use of red light slash speed cameras at various intersections. I would start by putting them at the most dangerous intersections in various areas. But I would support the right of the city, the communities to do this in an effort 
to ticket and maybe deter people from driving in a reckless fashion. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Wisconsin does not allow this at this point in time. And Wisconsin is one of a handful of states that does not allow red light cameras. I think we should be reconsidering this in an effort to try to catch the people who are bad drivers. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us, Jill in Brookfield. Jill, you're first. Good afternoon. Hi. I am totally in favor of this. And as I mentioned to the uh, gentleman that answered the phone, can we also have a red light for people mm-hmm. who blow through red lights? Right. Out here in Brookfield, people are constantly running through the red lights. You'll be sitting at an intersection, and it's, you're lucky almost to, to make it through the intersection while you're waiting for that guy who decided at the last minute to blow through the red light. Mm-hmm. So obviously, he's speeding, and not only that, he's going through the red light. And apparently... Kids aren't taught what yellow means. And, uh, <laughs> it doesn't mean go so. like heck. Okay, Jill, let, let me – There, these are not perfect. Matter of fact, in some of the states that have them, for example, one of the problems that they found is let's say let, let's say you enter the intersection on – on a green or on a yellow, and then all of a sudden you, the, the cars in front of you stop for whatever reason, so you kind of get caught in, in that, you know, caught in that thing. Well, then, you, you know, your picture could get taken. So it, it does, for example, catch people sometimes who really aren't running lights. They're legitimately in the intersection, but then they can't get out in time. I mean, is, is that a cause? Is that a reason not to use them? No. Okay. No. I mean, these are people who are from start to finish running through a red light, not the person who's sitting in the intersection. But, um, I mean, we just see it all the time. I've witnessed it so many times in the last three months where I'm sitting at the light where the light is getting ready to turn green for me to go through. Right. I just sit and I wait a few extra seconds because I can't believe the number of times that people just keep going. Oh, yeah. There's one of the routes I take to work. There is this intersection where I... I would be crossing a busier street, and you know, so I'm, I'm crossing the busier street. I'm the same way. Light turns green, so I have the right of way. I have learned you count one, two, three, four, five, because inevitably there will be somebody blowing through that red light, and if you go when the light turns green, you will get slapped. You will get smacked into. No, thanks. For the call. Okay, four one four. But I do want to be honest. Here. I mean, th- these are not perfect because they are going to catch. Various situations. You're in the intersection. There's somebody in front of you. Think about how this happens. There's somebody in front of you, for example, making a left turn. You go in the intersection on the green, but you've got to wait for that car to make the left turn. All right, the car, then they wait till the light, the light turns red. Then they're able to make the turn and you go through. You're in that intersection. So, I mean, you're going to get caught on that. So it will inevitably catch people who probably haven't broken the law or have a legitimate excuse. Now, my answer to that would be, well, that's when you can test the ticket. That That's when you go down and say, I want to talk to a judge. I want to explain what happened. 414-799-1620. But that's a problem. They're, they're, I mean, it, it will catch people who probably did not really, if there had been a police officer there, they wouldn't have stopped you and wouldn't have given you the ticket. Beth in Bayview. Beth, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Hey, on my way here listening to the radio show, um, there was a car ahead of me that crossed two lanes of traffic. Ahead of the people in the left turn lane that was red arrow, 
he paused like a yield sign and went through. <laughs> and, um, you're, and you're probably and, there going, where is a police officer when you want exactly. one? Exactly, <laughs> and I drive, I drive down Fond du Lac Avenue every day, and the things I've seen are, are pretty insane. You have to be very defensive, a very defensive driver, right. people passing on the right, um, using stop signs as yield signs. Right. Um, so you would crazy. so you would support even understanding that there might be situations where somebody's going to get caught by one of these things that that maybe otherwise wouldn't deserve a ticket. You think the greater good justifies let let's send out these tickets, and if you think you've wrongfully got one, you go down and you defend yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I think I I I agree as well. Now don't. I don't. I wouldn't put them. There, there is a huge cost to this, and I wouldn't put them at every intersection. At least not to, to start with. There's a huge cost, but I would. And the Department of Transportation knows this. Let, let's take the city of Milwaukee. I would identify the fifteen, twenty, thirty worst intersections, um, or in Milwaukee County, or in Waukesha County, the ones where you have, by worst I mean the ones where you have the most collisions or things like that, and I'd put them up there, and I'd put signs up. I mean, I'm not, see, I understand some people look at this and they say, this is just a way to generate revenue. Well, I'm not trying to sneak up on anybody. I'd put signs all over saying this intersection, you know, it, it's monitored by, you know, automated cameras, whether it's the speeding cameras or the red light cameras, and I'd let people know that under the hope that maybe maybe they drive a little bit better i'd start with the 20 or 30 worst intersections in a particular county or in a particular area and see how it works chris and heartland chris you're on wtmj yeah i got caught with one of these in chicago uh, a few years ago and it is amazing technology so they send you a ticket and then there's three pictures and then they even send you a video link so you can see it you can go online and check it out and you're like oh Yep, there's the stop line. <laughs> the light turns red, and I'm behind the stop line, and I just kept going. And so, I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I was guilty. I, I couldn't do anything except pay. Uh, and so, I right, just, you you weren't one of those that had this extending circumstance of I was trapped no. in the intersection because the guy in front of me was making the left turn. You you flat out blew the light. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I was kind of in a rush, and yeah. I was hoping to make it, and, and I thought, well, okay, it was close, but uh, the uh, the camera got me, and it showed I was clearly behind the, the, the stop line when mm-hmm. the light turned red, and then, yeah, so it got me, it's got my license plate, it's got a picture of my face, and little video link, and it's like, yeah. hey, you're busted. Right. Uh, so I think it's a great idea. I mean, I think it's going to keep folks safe, and also it can generate a little bit of revenue for the city and well, the yeah. county and whoever else needs it. So, yeah, no, well, thanks for calling, Chris. And look, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not naive. I understand that, that one of the elements here, and this is what people complain about, they say, oh, this is, this is, it's going to be a revenue generator. That's what the real purpose is. I, and and I, I guess I get that. It's a revenue generator to the point that, you know, people who get caught then have to pay or they get their licenses suspended, which is a whole other story. But I guess I, in a perfect world, I would give people clear notice of this. Like I say, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that communities use these like speed traps and stuff like that. I'd give notices. You know, I'd make it really clear the intersection at 40th and whatever is covered by, you know, a traffic camera. Violators will be identified and they will be prosecuted. And you put a couple signs up there and then the word gets out. Now, is it going to stop everybody from blowing red lights? No, it's not. I, I don't. 
I don't suggest that it's going to be a perfect solution. But given the fact that we don't have enough law enforcement officers to put them outside every one of these intersections, and like I say, I'd start at the ones where you have the most the most dangerous intersections, however you want to define dangerous, and then I'd move from there. And I, I'd certainly at least do it on a test basis to see how it works out. My guess is it would make things safer. Maybe I'm going to be wrong, but at this point in time, given how dangerous the roadways are, what do we really have to lose? Okay, when we come back, a senior prank, the principal thought it went awry. How old is too old to be an elected official? And MPS says, give us more money, we'll get better teachers. Huh. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. All right. The Milwaukee Teachers Union seems to think that if you give teachers a couple thousand dollars more, that's going to make a big difference in them staying and teaching at MPS. I just don't think that's the case. Now, the city of Milwaukee... Ever since the residency rules were passed, one of the things they found is a lot of city employees want to leave and they want to raise their kids in the suburbs. They want to get out of Milwaukee for whatever reasons. Maybe it's the crime rate. Maybe it's the school system. Maybe it's the tax situation, etc. So what's happening is a lot of the city employees are, are leaving. And the city's answer is, well, let's create an incentive. Let's pay employees who work for the city but who decide to live in the city let's give them an extra two or three thousand dollars well that's all well and good but my point is that's not going to make any difference two or three thousand dollars is probably going to be eaten up in the taxes that that you pay you know the difference between for example living in the city of milwaukee and living in in waukesha county i I think if there's people in milwaukee the common council if they wanted to figure out how you could get more city employees to live in the city city, what they need to do is figure out the fundamental causes of why people are leaving. In other words, giving people a couple thousand dollars more isn't going to make a difference, which brings us to MPS. MPS, the Milwaukee Public School System, has been losing teachers at an alarming rate. After Act 10 went into effect, you saw a number of teachers, like several hundred, over 700, I think, who who left the district. Um, you know, many of them ended up retiring, taking early retirement and things like that. Others decided that they were going to move to other districts where they, they could make a little bit more money because the, the, the way this it has been set up now is that the best teachers – or teachers that teach in specialties that are in demand, they, they can sell themselves. They're kind of like free agents in the NBA. Now, they're not making NBA type of money. Don't get me wrong on that. But, you know, if you teach in a specialty that's in demand, you know, you can pretty much, you know, write your own ticket at various locations. And a number of them have done that. So in any event, the MPS has been has been hemorrhaging public school teachers. There's no question about it. And obviously that instability is just another blow to an educational system. So the school board has said, all right, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to we're going to relook at our salary scale and we're going to go back to where we were at least partially before Act 10 where we will pay you more. We'll give you incremental raises based on the number of years you've taught and based on your educational level. All right. 
So you could be a bad teacher, but as long as you're able to hang out year after year after year, you'll continue to get raises. Well, here's here's the hard numbers of this. I'm not going to argue that MPS teachers are overpaid. I will say, though, that they're not un, they're not I'm not going to argue that they are overpaid. I will argue, though, that they're not necessarily underpaid. I mean, the Journal Sentinel has these numbers. Uh, an average MPS teacher earns about $60,000 a year. This is in 2018. And that is that is on a par with traditional public school teachers in southeastern Wisconsin and with the state's median household income. So that that's $60,000 a year. That's, on average, that's comparable to what other teachers in the area are making. In addition, full-time teachers with 10 to 19 years experience and a master's degree which is the most common experience in education combination in southeastern Wisconsin, makes $67,100 at MPS. The average across all districts in the area is 65800 So it's slightly above average at MPS. Now, there are certain school districts in the area that pay their teachers more, and those school districts I think obviously are, are attractive. You have, you know, certain school districts that for the best teachers, you know, they pay about $10,000 more. So obviously if you're one of those teachers and you've got some skill and, you know, you're going to be looking to go there. But my point is on average, MPS teachers, oh, it's, it's the average, not overpaid, but certainly not underpaid. Now some of the starting teachers, the starting MPS salary is towards the low end of that average scale, but the starting salary is about 42500 So, all right, but again, the MPS salaries are in the ballpark with other area school systems. Um, what the school board wants to do to try to stop the attrition is they want to figure out ways to give the MPS teachers incremental raises. Here, we're going to give you a little bit more money and incremental raises for both time and service and for the educational level. All right, here's my point, and this is what I would like to discuss with you. I don't think that's going to make any difference. Just like I don't believe giving, giving a city employee a couple grand extra to live in the city, I don't think giving an MPS teacher a couple grand extra is going to stop them from leaving MPS. My guess is the best teachers that perhaps leave MPS, the ones in the in-demand specialties or whatever, they're going to make a lot more money. I mean, they're, they're going to be the ones that are in demand, and, and yes, they're going to go to some of those wealthier school districts that are paying the premiums, okay? That's number one. For most of the MPS teachers who leave, though, to either go into another occupation or go to other school districts, my guess is it's not for a couple thousand dollars. Just like the city employees leave the city for reasons beyond money, my guess is a vast majority of the MPS teachers leave the MPS system for reasons other than money. In other words, a couple thousand dollars isn't going to make you you know, stay in a dysfunctional system or a system where, you know, you're, you're battling with the principals, you're battling with the superintendent, 
maybe you're teaching at a school district where there's violence or there's in a school where there's violence or security issues maybe you're teaching in a school district where there's not parental support of what you're trying to do i guess my point is to the extent there is the extent people are leaving I, I don't think it's because of a couple thousand dollars. Now, a couple thousand dollars across the board might be nice. Don't get me wrong. Everybody would like to get you know a couple thousand dollars. But if the idea is we are concerned with the fact that you know we're losing teachers, I don't think it's a couple thousand dollars that's the reason they're going. I think it's a more fundamental problem. And if you want to figure that out, you got to solve the more fundamental problems. Will money make a difference? That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, will people, for example, continue teaching at MPS if you give them a couple thousand dollars more? And my answer is, I don't think that's the answer. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. We are following a breaking news story um, in Manhattan, downtown, midtown Manhattan. A helicopter crashed into the roof of a 54-story office building. Um, uh, the crash was at the AXA Equitable Center on 7th Avenue and West 49th Street. It came shortly before 1 o'clock our time. At this point in time, no other details are available. Obviously, you know, in light of September 11th, everybody's always sensitive when you have the, these aviation incidents. We don't know anything more about this, but helicopter crashed into the roof of a high-rise office building. We will continue to keep you updated on that. 414-799-1620 is our number. Look, I here's the reality. Milwaukee public school teachers are certainly not overpaid, but statistically they're really not underpaid either. The teachers' union has convinced the school board to give them a little bit of more money and they say that that's going to stop the attrition i i just don't buy it i mean i I don't object to people getting a little more money but i don't think i don't think the money is primarily the reason why people leave let's start with lamar in orlando hi lamar hey jeff um i just want to start my comment by saying well first of all thanks for taking my call but i think that in general teachers are are underpaid just nationally because here I, i taught here in orlando for you know, a year and a half, and I left because it's just it, the pay is just too low. It's way too low to start off, and you really can't survive in a teacher's salary, especially not with a family. But um, in MPS's case, I think his money is a big part of it, and I know we're always arguing about you know MPS spends more per per pupil. The difference between a good school, a good school, and a bad school, flat out, is parental support yep. and involvement. And if you don't have that, you have to come up with other ways to you know to to, to get to, you know successful schools. And one of those is hiring great teachers. And in the beginning, those first few years, because there's, there's a ton of studies that say a lot of teachers leave within those first few years. Mm-hmm, sure. And if it doesn't have problems now, um, retaining teachers going to have problems gaining them later on. And money is a big part of that. Well, I guess the question, though, is can you ever – can you ever pay enough to stop the the attrition rate? I mean, I guess that's that that's the thing. Now, right now, like the the starting MPS salaries are like forty two five or something like that. I mean, what at at what level do you make it fifty two? Do you make it sixty two? 
I mean, what level do you do? I mean, how much more do you have to pay than surrounding areas in order to get people to stay at MPS? I mean, starting out, I mean, 40, 40 grand starting out is just, it's just not enough. I think 50 would be a nice place to start. Mm-hmm. To, to attract people because I think in the rest in the rest of the free market we understand that money is a is a motivating factor. It's, sure. it's, a, it's a big factor for attracting talent, and we just have not gotten that when it comes to teachers. We don't even consider it. We look at everything else, but we look we don't look at what we pay for teachers. And considering all the teacher strikes naturally that are you know money seems to be a center of that. I think we need to start listening uh, because that's one of the reasons why I, te- I stopped teaching. Starting out at least starting out right. this is not enough. Yeah, no, thanks, Nicole. Well, again, and again, I look at. I mean, here's, I guess my, my point is on, on this is that the, the, their concern is attrition. There's always going to be people that go into an industry out of school. For example, you start off and then after a couple of years, you decide this isn't what I, I want to do. And, and you can, you, you can see that whether it's people in business or people who go into law or, or whatever. It's just, it doesn't turn out. It's not what they thought it was going to be. So there's always going to be a degree of attrition. You're always going to lose some people. Now, I understand, uh, obviously, the higher the pay is, the more there's an incentive for people to kind of stick it out. But the MPS problem, it, it hasn't just been like the new teachers. It's a system-wide, it's a systematic problem where you have people that are either, in the case of MPS, taking early retirement after the, the Act 10 stuff, or for the ones who are most marketable, you know, they're going to some of the area, some of the school districts in the area that do pay, you know, a, a top dollar. Okay, well, you know, MPS, you're, you're not going to have enough money to raise it up so that you're going to be the highest paid district in there. You know, so you're always going to lose some people there. I guess my point is, if you want to keep the best teachers, Right, money is a factor, and that's why. Okay, if you want to give somebody a couple extra thousand dollars, all right, I'm not necessarily going to argue about it. But I just don't believe that that's what's going to stop the problem. You have to deal with some of the more fundamental issues, which is you've got to make the schools safe places. I know people who were teachers who got out of it because they just felt flat out unsafe in some of these schools. That was it. So you got to deal with the safety. I'm with you, Lamar. You've got to deal with like parental involvement. You know, the parents have to care because otherwise. Otherwise, in you know some of these schools, let's face it, you're, you're not a teacher. What you really are is you're kind of a, a babysitter because there's some kids that are there that want to learn, and there's other kids that are just there because they have to be there. So you've got that going on as well. Give them a little bit more money, that, that's fine. Raise the average teacher salary, okay, that, that's fine. And the unions can say we did something, and the school board can say, look, we made the union happy. Is it going to change the attrition rates my guess is absolutely not. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, let me take you back to your high school days. There is there is a tradition at many high schools involving a senior prank. Now, Gru, did you guys do a senior prank? Uh, no. No. I was very tempted. I had one planned, and uh, I mean, it's always the promise of you're not going to walk at graduation or whatever. Right. So I didn't. I didn't do it. You didn't do what? What was your senior prank going to be? Do you remember? Uh, let me see if I can explain it very quickly. So the the main hallway when you enter the high school had a large window awning on the top of it. Okay. And you know those orange circus peanut candies. 
Sure. Well, when you lick them and you put them on glass and you take them off, they leave a lot of residue. And we were going to, my buddies and I were part of the drama club and we had access to the roof through the stage, through the auditorium. And we were going to go on that awning and say, congrats, seniors, right. 08, whatever. But it would have been a huge mess. Somebody would have had to take a, like a power washer to okay. this thing. So you thought better of it. Oh, we wouldn't have been walking at graduation. Okay. All right. Okay. Got it. So you, you thought, you thought better of it. And there's, there's always this fine line between senior pranks and vandalism. You know, and, and, and a lot of times what will happen is that the kids will do things and it will end up being destructive and it will, and then obviously there, there's penalties. But at the same time, you've got senior pranks and, and a prank is a prank. So here's the story and I want to really, I want you to think back on your senior pranks and my question is going to be, do you think the principal in this situation overreacted? Okay, this is from the state of Oregon. Here's, here's the deal. Gladstone High School. What happened is you had about three dozen students who last Friday um, snuck into the school early, all right? And then what they did is they went up to one of the custodians, and they, they told the custodian essentially that um, they were there were um, senior events and there was graduation involved, and there was a senior event, and they were doing something in connection with the teachers, and they needed the custodian to unlock some of the classrooms. Okay? So the custodian unlocks the classrooms for them. All right, so then what the kids do is they go in, and they take a bunch of desks that were in the classrooms, and they move them out into the hallways. So you've got a couple hundred desks that are in the hallways. And so what happens is when the faculty gets there, they've got the desks in the hallways. So they, that is the faculty members and the custodians, got to move the, got to move these hundreds of desks back into these various classrooms. All right. That was, that was their senior prank. They didn't destroy anything. They didn't tear up anything. They moved the desks and the desks had to be moved back. All right. The principal is not amused at all. And apparently this is all that this is all captured on video and stuff like that. The principal says that the kids were involved in what he described as a breach of trust. He says it was disrespectful to the staff. He said that they were they took advantage, they manipulated and abused the custodian. That is manipulated because they told him the story and the custodian believed them. So they manipulated him. And um, he said, and as a result of this, what happened is that he and other staff members had to move the furniture back in the room. And it took some time away from their day. He says, factoring in staff hours and costs to move the furniture and rebuild and reset the building, we estimate the total cost of this was $2,092.32. There were 44 students involved. Each student will have to pay $47.55 to cover the costs, and they will not be allowed to walk in their graduation unless they pay up. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Did the principal overreact? Was this a legitimate type of harmless school prank? We're moving the desks, you know, out of of the room. Was this something that they should have just kind of laughed at? 
Or is it reasonable to say to all the kids, this cost us money, and as a result of this, you're going to have to pay up or else you're going to suffer consequences? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Was this a prank or was it something more than that? 414-799-1620, we discuss in just a moment, and I'll tell you where I come down on this. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, prank or I don't know or some sort of destructive incident. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's go to the text line. Yes, it was a prank, but what were they trying to accomplish? If there's one thing they can add to the list of things they learned in school, it's that every action has a consequence. It caused disruption for the school. It's going to cost each student forty seven fifty for them to walk across the stage. I side with the principal. Justin says I think the principal clearly overreacted in keeping the students from walking from graduation, but I think they should have been made to restore things as they were versus paid staff. Steve says 40 some dollars. I don't think he overreacted. West Bend seniors toilet papered some trees at the school this year. Some got $500 fines and can't walk across the school graduation. Kyle says the prank was in perfect spirit of any good senior prank. It was disruptive, but zero damage was done. The principal was on a power trip. Another text. I think it's completely ridiculous. I don't know how he can, by law, make them pay that amount. I would say no, and I would just not walk down the aisle. Uh, let's see, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. The kids are lucky they did not get the custodian fired for letting the students in the classroom. My take, my take on this is, is kind of a mixed bag. First of all, I think the principal does in fact overreact in this. This to me is a prank. Kids get into the school early. They move the desks out of various rooms. All right. Now, I don't know what they were trying to accomplish. And is it the most clever prank? No, but but at least it, it's a prank. People come in there. They find that the desks are, are out of the, that are in the hallway. This is not destructive. Nothing has been damaged. It's not like you're going to have to spend huge amounts of money, you know, cleaning off windows or whatever. All you got to do is move the desks back in the classroom. That is, in fact, an inconvenience. So this idea that, oh, this is a terrible breach of trust, and they con the custodian into opening up the rooms and how awful this is, oh, for goodness sakes, give me a break. To me, this is an example of, you know, a reaction from somebody who perhaps forgot what it was like to be a kid. So I don't think this is the end of the world. Now, having said that, I think that a number of our texters do make a point that, you know, that actions have to have consequences. And so there is a cost in putting things back to normal. So I guess I don't think it's necessarily unreasonable to say to these various kids, okay, you did it, you got a laugh, etc. But now, I mean, candidly, I would have made the kids put the stuff back. Now, maybe that just didn't work out on the timing. But if that's a legitimate cost and it's 45 bucks per kid that was involved and they know the kids were involved, if it's 45 bucks to put the thing back to normal, I would say, okay, pay the $45 and then let's move on. This is not and nor should it be treated as the end of the world. And I guess I think sometimes I, I understand that we want everything to be perfect. But, I mean, I think sometimes – 
we, we completely and totally lose our sense of humor. Now, the principal in this case says, well, I warned them, you know, don't pull any sort of senior pranks and look, and, and they did it. Well, okay, what's the point of what's the point of pulling a, a senior prank or something if you're going to tell everybody what exactly this was? In the whole pantheon of senior pranks, this, to me, is, I, I think, on the destructive scale, pretty pretty low down. I mean, it, it's not a bad one at all. If you want to charge the kids 40 bucks a piece to clean this up, that that's that's fine. I think it's reasonable. But let's not get too, too, too bent out of shape with the children. And by the way, I think if the principal thought back to his high school days, just like if many of us think back to our high school days, I, I think that the senior pranks were perhaps a lot more elaborate and arguably perhaps a little bit more destructive than moving some chairs and desks outside of a handful of classrooms. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner. Seventy-three degrees outside. All right. Is age just a number? Ronald Reagan, who I, I think arguably was the greatest president in my lifetime, Ronald Reagan, when he was first elected in 1980, he on a, on election day on when he was inaugurated. So um, he was 69, essentially 69 and a half years old. When he was reelected for his second term in 1984, he was 73 and a half years old. He's the oldest person ever elected to be the president of the United States when he's reelected for his second term. Okay, so now the question becomes, okay, how old are some of the, the leading candidates for president? Uh, let me see. Let me pull the list up here. Um Bernie Sanders, Election Day 2020. So, uh, again, you know, a year and a half from now, Election Day 2020, Bernie Sanders will be, he will just have turned 79 years old. So he will be 79 years old. New York uh, City Mayor Mike Bloomberg, he will be, on Election Day of 2020, 78 years and eight months old. Joe Biden, Election Day of 2020, will be almost 78 years old. He'll be 77 years, 11 months, 14 days. So let's let's round up. He'll be 78 on Election Day. Donald Trump um, on Election Day 2020 will be 74 and a half years old. So all of these people, all of these people on Election Day will be older than Ronald Reagan was when he was reelected to his second term. Uh, Elizabeth Warren She'll be on election day 71 and a half years old. So, I mean, I think you can make a strong argument that, that that's the list. Sanders, Biden, Warren, they are certainly the, um, they are certainly the, the leading Democrat candidates, all three of whom will be over 70 years old. And in the case of Bernie Sanders, he will almost be 80. I mean, he'll, you know, almost certainly closer to 80 than to 78. And then, you know, there's a number of the other candidates who are in their 60s. And then, you know, you have a number of whom are, you know, in their 30s and in their 40s. So, but if you look at the leading candidates and you were in Las Vegas and you were a betting person, you know, you'd have to say, I mean, the, the top tier Democrat candidates, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, probably Elizabeth Warren, 
all of whom are in their 70s, and Donald Trump, you know, 74 years old. Our number is 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I want to have a conversation with you. Is age simply a number, or is it a consideration in voting and deciding who should be the leader of the free world. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I don't believe that we need a constitutional amendment saying that, you know, right now, I mean, there's the Constitution says that you, you can't be president until you're 35 years old. Would I argue in favor of a similar amendment that says that you can't serve after you're 70 or after you're 75? No, I wouldn't. At the same time, I have to tell you that age, I think, is a consideration and needs to be a consideration in making decisions. Whether it's Donald Trump, who's going to be 74 and a half next election day, or these other candidates who, in the case of Bernie Sanders, if he gets elected, you know, he's, he's going to be almost 80, almost 80 years old. And I, I don't mean to sound ageist. Believe me, I'm, as I get older, I'm more sensitive to this type of stuff. But I was kidding around at the start of the show about how just this last weekend, you know, I was doing, I would play golf and went to the McCartney concert and went to the Brewers game and I'm dragging. Okay. Well, my, my guess is when I was in my 20s, that wouldn't have had the same uh, effect. But I do think that given a job that is incredibly, incredibly stressful, I mean, I do think age is is a factor. And you look at these presidents and you look and I don't care whether it's President Obama or President Bush or President Clinton. Um, you you look at the before and the after pictures and you see the the toll that this job takes on people. And, and yeah, I, I have to tell you. And again, maybe I'm going to get people saying, oh, you're just being ageist here. But I I, I think. I think there's a the reality is there's a certain energy level that you need and and I don't know seventy nine seventy seven you know seventy four is that a factor four one four seven nine nine one six twenty and I'll tell you seventy nine years old yeah I I'd be a little bit hesitant now Bernie Sanders can be the most energetic guy in the world but I I think seventy nine years old is pushing it to be president of the United States. Andy in Milwaukee. Andy, you're in WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Andy. Uh, you just basically said what I called in to talk about, and that's energy level. I, I think um, when you get to be in your 70s, your, your energy level, it has to decrease. Yeah. To a, a large extent. And being president of the United States and leader of the free world requires somebody who... I'm sorry. Your, yeah, your cell phone. I'm sorry. Your cell phone was dropping out there. But yeah, I mean, you, well, you look at some of the candidates here. The mayor Pete from you know South Bend. He's 38 years old. Uh, Beto O'Rourke. He's 48 years old. Uh, Kristen uh, uh, Kristen Gillibrand from New York. She's the senator. She's 53. Kamala Harris is 56. Um, you know, you you look at that, and I guess I I, I don't mean to be ageist about this, but. I think there, there's a time when you kind of have a generational shift. And, and by the way, that's one of the other things you see. You know, people who right now are in their upper 60s and 70s, they've got their view, their worldview is informed by the events that were going on when they were younger. 
and when they were growing up. And that's a certain worldview. And in many respects, I mean, maybe some of, of their lessons. I'm reading a fascinating book on, uh, the, on, on Richard Holbrook, who was big in the Obama administration and the Clinton administration and stuff. And it's talking through the Vietnam era. And, and the, the premise of the book right now, it's in the Vietnam era, is how, you know, the people who were making the decisions in Vietnam, their worldview was influenced by you know, what went on in, in World War Two and what went on in the Korean War, and they didn't understand the nature of the Vietnam conflict. Well, I, I mean, I think you can... I think you can make that that same argument that you get to a certain point and you you just you don't understand your lessons are what you learned in the 20s that might not be relevant anymore when you're in your 70s. And I understand you get with age comes wisdom and all that type of stuff. But I'm with all due respect to Bernie Sanders. And let's not let's not worry even worry about the politics. I mean, he's going to almost be 80. Scott in Iron Mountain. Scott, you're on WTMJ. It's a very touchy subject, man. I mean, you look at all the presidents we've had, and a lot of them are old, and we're old when they got elected. But I don't think Bernie or Joe could handle presidency. I would say within their first year, they probably both end up by having strokes. Well, you you hope. I mean, right? You can be in the best shape uh, at all, but I mean, it's it's a physically demanding and an emotionally and a mentally demanding job. And you just you just look at the before and after pictures of every president, and it, the jobs just aged them. <laughs> exactly. And you look at Trump now. You know, Trump. I think he is. Well, he likes to eat, you know. I mean, he's, oh, he, well, he's no, he knows no question. He's aged too. No, thanks for calling. I mean, yeah. that's why I throw Trump into this conversation because you know he's going to be seventy four. Now, that's not seventy, you know, eight or eighty, but it's still seventy four. And if he is reelected, um, he will be the oldest person when he, you know, when he is elected. You know, uh, when he's reelected. Right now, it's Reagan. It's seventy three and a half. You know, Trump will be older than that. I just bring this up because I think. It's a concern. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. As long as we are talking about age, there's a fascinating story in today's Chicago Tribune. It, it brings up a term that I don't think I have ever heard before. The term is job hoarding, H-O-A-R-D-I-N-G. Job hoarding. And here's the idea. Well, here's the headline. Are older workers job hoarding hurting the economy? 44% of young employees say aging workforce is a problem. All right, so here here's the, the story in a nutshell. You have older workers who, for a variety of reasons, are staying on longer. It, it always used to be that 65 was the retirement age, and, and boom, you know, once people hit 65, they're, they're off into their retirement years. For a variety of reasons, more and more people are staying at their jobs longer. Maybe it's because, I don't know, somebody maybe lost their job you know, 10 years ago, in the recession, had to look for another job. So, you know, they, they were out of work for a couple of years, had to drain their retirement savings, etc. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, people enjoy their jobs. So they're, they, they don't want to give up the job. So they're staying in the jobs longer. Maybe it's that they don't know what to do if they're in retirement. Maybe it's that they haven't saved enough. So they have to keep working to just, again, support themselves because there's not enough money in retirement. For whatever reason, you have more and more people that are, are working longer. 
And so there's this survey out there, and they're asking some younger people. This would be in, in their 40s. And they're asking them, all right, people staying, working longer, the aging workforce, is it a positive or a negative? And interestingly, about 40% of the people ages 18 to 49 and 44% of the people ages 20, 18 to 29 say they think it is a bad thing for American workers. Namely, you know, that's a pretty large percentage. You know, 40 to 44% think it's a bad thing that older workers are staying longer. And the, the reasons, that's where the term job hoarding comes in, because the concern is that you've got some of these, the Gen Xers, the millennials or whatever, saying we're being blocked. You know, normally there would be the, this pattern and this progression. And you'd have people that, okay, they'd start winding down when they got in their early 60s, and then 65 they hit retirement, and boom, they'd be gone. And this would create a job opening, and then you could have somebody that were in their 40s or 50s they would move into that. But now if the older workers stay in those jobs, what they're doing is they're blocking us. It's, it's essentially it's a ceiling for us. We can't get those jobs because they are not leaving them, and we're upset with it. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Is the fact that people are working longer for whatever reasons, is that is that a negative? Is that something that we should be concerned about? Should we be doing more, I guess, to say, all right, we're going to have some of these hard retirement ages. And when you hit 65, boom, you know, it, it, it's time for you to start figuring out something else to do. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, like I say, in some respects, this is kind of, there's an irony to this because if you talk to a number of people who found themselves out of work or find themselves out of work in their mid-50s and early 60s, they will tell you that trying to find that other job is just next to impossible. It's very, very difficult to prove age discrimination, but the reality is you go into a lot of employers and you look for a job that was comparable to the one you know, you'd, you'd been doing, and, you know, they'll kind of look and they'll see that you're 55 or that you're 60. And despite the fact that you might be willing to work and anxious to work another 10 or 15 years, they'd rather have somebody that's 10 or 15 years younger. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We are seeing, and this study sorts in, sort of indicates it, that there, there's two schools of thought. One is that older workers want to hang on for whatever reason, and the flip side of this is that the younger workers are starting to resent it. Should we resent it? Is it a bad thing that people want to continue working, you know, when they near retirement age? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Gru is lining up the calls. We'll be back to discuss this in just a minute. Stick around. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I sent out a link to this story on Twitter. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 and this study. But if you're just tuning in, I'd never heard this term before. It's called job hoarding, and, and it's a generational thing. According to these studies, you have a lot of younger workers who resent older workers for working past, working into their 60s or past traditional retirement ages, the idea is you're holding that job. You know, if normally, you know, people would retire at 65 or whatever, and we'd be able to move up the ladder. By you holding on to that job, you're blocking us. 
Is that a legitimate concern? 414-799-1620. Let's start with John in Sheboygan Falls. Hi, John. Yes, good afternoon. Hi. Um, thanks for talking to me. Sure. I 100% agree with the statement. Uh, I see it all the time. The old people, I know harassment, and we've got age discrimination, but they're just not as productive. And then I have the younger people, then they think they can be less productive, so we got to get them out of the workforce. Simple as that. So, I mean, you think that so you think that the that people as they get older are less productive and are taking up space compared to the younger workers and setting bad examples. Exactly, and the younger worker figures they don't have to do as much work either because they're making the same pay as the old one, and we got to get them out of the workforce. Not in every profession, in every job, but there are a lot of them. Interesting. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Okay. That's the first call I wanted, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, John kind of echoes that same thing. He says, hey, you know, once you get to a certain age, you're just not doing the job, and you're setting a bad example for the younger workers, and you got to move on. Huh, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I... I don't I don't buy that for a lot of reasons. Matter of fact, I, I think there, again, I, I think the problem is that, you know, people in their 50s and 60s who are still healthy and productive. And I understand the last segment I was doing was, all right, do, do you want somebody who on the first day as president of the United States is going to be 80 years old? But I, I think people who are productive in their 50s and 60s still have a, a lot to offer. And if some 30-year-old wants that job, well, okay, you know, tough. <laughs> I guess that, that's kind of my reaction to this. I, I think actually the, the more significant story is that, you know, people in their 50s and 60s, they have trouble getting jobs that they are otherwise qualified for because of, of their age. Not that we should force them out sooner, but what do you think? Bob in Oak Creek. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Uh, I'm 70 years old, and I continue to work because I'm healthy. And there's no, I have no problem doing anything that the younger folk do. Actually, I outperform most of those young people because the perceived caller is wrong. Uh, the younger people tend to be a little, a little more of the slacker types. Uh, the problem I'm having with all this is the unemployment is low, and a lot of employers are having a heck of a time replacing us older people right they need us to stick around well yeah especially in certain industries i mean if you you know we've talked about this before you look at various you know aspects of the manufacturing industry you can't find you can't find tool and die makers for example right. you know you you can't find the the hvac folks that the, the the younger younger people that that's not with the jobs they're gravitating towards and that, that's the, that's the point there that i don't know what what millennials are talking about must be sit behind a desk uh, pushing pencil work, you know, kind of jobs, because out there in the real world, there, there's a dire need for workers, and they need to, the older ones. That 65 to me is an outdated age anyways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, right, because it, thanks for because you, you know, I mean, again, people are living a lot longer. I mean, that's that's one of the issues that they have. You know, we talk about Social Security a lot, and 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 the the idea was when when Social Security was rolled out decades and decades and decades and decades ago, the average life of an American was such and such, and and now that's been extended for years and years. And don't get me wrong, that's a great thing that people are living longer. But the idea was, okay, now you know that that Social Security payments 
Maybe they thought somebody hit 65, you qualify for it. You know, the chances are you can live seven or eight years. Now people are living 17. That's one of the reasons why you have those costs. Kurt in Fort Atkinson. Kurt, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, hi. Um, the reason I, I'm 66 right now, and uh, I'm my wife doesn't turn 65 till August. And one of the reasons we're, I'm waiting is for her to turn 65 so the insurance will be covered. Right now I carry the insurance. Okay. Um, okay, and, uh, right, yeah. The insurance is so, you know, ridiculous. If you're not, um, if you're below 65... You know, you're paying a lot, and uh, you're not getting very good insurance. You know? Right. So what you're saying is you're you're hanging on until she turns 65, and you're both eligible for Medicare. Yes, sir. Got it. Well, that I mean, the fact that that's you know, it's interesting that you should mention that because I, I have a couple friends who are in their early 60s, and, and that's it. They're actually it you that the insurance is, is kind of a factor, and they're they're sitting there saying, okay, well, you know. I really I'd like to retire. I could probably afford to otherwise retire, but that insurance is in fact a factor. So I, I've got to work an extra year or two to get me to the point of Medicare, or else I'm going to have to pay for those things. You know, those are factors. But I guess the see the the bigger point of this is that right now we can't find enough employees for the various jobs that we have we we just can't and i appreciate that maybe there's a, a bit of a of a ceiling where okay you know you want to you want to be the guy in the corner office but the guy who's in the corner office right now, he's still doing the job, and they're not going to push him out while he's doing it. Well, okay, my response would be wait your turn or you know, move somewhere else where maybe you could be the guy that's in the corner office. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jim in Wauwatosa. Hi, Jim. Hey, Jeff. Good afternoon. What a beautiful day. Hell, yeah. Uh, I am both uh, – I'm a senior officer of our firm, so I'm both an employer and an employee. And my answer to both are tough. <laughs> right. I'm a, as an employer, I want to keep my productive and experienced uh, employees there as long as I can. Right, regardless as of a, age. Regardless of age. As an employee, that's my business. And if I'm as long as I'm healthy and still productive for the firm, and the firm still wants to keep me employed with them, uh, I'm going to stay around as long as I can because I love what I do. Right. And the fact that you've got somebody who's maybe 15 years younger than you saying, wait a second, Jim, this isn't fair. You know, you moved up when the guy retired, you know, when the guy had your position retired, you know, when he was 62, you got to get out of the way now. So because I want that job. Yeah, and I've waited my turn when I was uh, 20 some odd years old. Right. Right. Um, in any event, uh, no, nice topic. Thank no, you no thanks. Well, no, and I, I think you're right. I mean, see, to me, see, to me, that's the question. The, the question is. As long as you are you are productive, and as long as you're you know doing the job, well then I, I mean who, who cares if you work till you're 68 or you work till you're 70 or you, you quit it or you quit at 55 years old if if you're able to do it. And the, the reality is, if you're 40 years old and you resent the guy who's 50 years old who's in the job you want, well. I mean, as I was saying earlier on today, and I hold another topic, you know, just just remember this, buddy, because, you know, karma can be a you-know-what, and you blink your eye, and, okay, today you're 40, you blink your eye, next day you're, you know, you're 50, and you've got the person that ends up...
ends up wanting, you know, your job. So I, I this term job hoarding, I guess I, I actually I kind of resented it when when I heard it. It's I mean in, in today's day and age, if if people are productive and they want to and they want to work and they're able to do the job. Well, that's that's just life. Jim in Mequon. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Um, I'll tell you what, all of my friends and acquaintances agree, most of them in small business, most of them in big business, say the most expensive element in any productive operation is the human element. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you what, with people older, they have a history, they have a reliable history, or they wouldn't be working, they show up for work, they're on time, they don't abuse themselves with yep. socially unacceptable behavior. It's extremely costly and unproductive to hire too many people with no experience, without a proven work ethic, and without good social and and personal habits. Uh, mm-hmm. You keep you stay with the people that brought you to the dance. Yeah, I thanks for call. I mean, I always wonder when I hear these stories and. Again, age discrimination is extremely difficult to prove, and some recent court decisions have made it even more difficult to prove it. But I believe it goes on. I, I just I've, I've heard too many stories anecdotally of people, you know, who who lost jobs ten years ago, and, and now the economy's rebounded, and they're trying to find similar sorts of jobs, and they're they're just not even, you know, once people look at their resumes and they see. Oh, that you've got a great resume, but gee, you were working for this company back in the seventies, huh? And then they start to do the math. Well, let's put that resume aside. Resume aside, I wonder for all the employers that make that decision that say, well, you know, we don't want to bring somebody in at the age of fifty-five because how long do they know they're going to stay? So instead, they opt to bring somebody in at the age of thirty-five or thirty or whatever, and that person just doesn't end up working out. You, you wonder how often people end up spinning their wheels on things like this, but. I guess this basic concept, you're going to start to hear this term because it's, it's like job hoarding, you know, somebody resenting people who decide they want to stay in their job. Well, I, I, I just think that's not the way to look at it. From an employer's perspective, it, it doesn't matter to me what the age of the employee is. If you have somebody that's doing the job and they're productive and they want to be there and you want to be them to be there, the fact that somebody 20 years younger might resent them having that job, to me, it's just the, the response is one word, and that's tough. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. All right. Now, on on all things digital, I quickly get beyond my depth. But let let me just give you a a basic overview of of where we are. Um, In the late 1990s, and if you were of a certain age, you will remember this. You you had these file sharing services, places like Napster. And what would happen is... People would would download music. They'd have CDs and they download music into these file sharing services, like like record albums or whatever. And then what would happen is people would go on to Napster and they would get music that other people had paid for, and they'd get it for free. They wouldn't have to pay royalties or anything like that for it. And the music industry became very very upset with that. All right, iTunes. And iTunes rolled out about 18 years ago, and it was, you know, one of the ideas of of Apple and and Steve Jobs. And iTunes 
really came about as an attempt to sort of regulate the Wild West and, and, and take some of this music sharing back from the Napsters of the world. And the idea behind iTunes is that it was going to be a, like a digital jukebox where you could, you could take your favorite CDs, you could load it into iTunes, you could organize your library, you could make custom like you could make mixtapes you could do we'll talk about a dated term but you, you could you could organize custom mixes and stuff like that then what quickly happened is iTunes became a music store uh, of its own and, and what what they found was in, in many cases first of all people wanted to own the music and they didn't necessarily want to buy an entire album slash CD what they wanted was they wanted particular songs. So you had, you know, through iTunes, you could go to the store and for, you know, one one click and 99 cents, you could pretty much own any any song in the world. All right. You know, and it was this whole idea of new media consumption. You know, the the new Jeff Wagner record comes out. You don't want 10 songs, but Jeff Wagner's got that one hit song. So, you know, you you go up to the iTunes store, you buy that for 99 cents. Boom. You own it and, and then you can play it. And that's kind of been the model. Um, you know, people, you know, buying their their music on the Internet through downloads you don't have to go to the record stores and buy lps or anything like that you don't have to buy cassettes you don't have to buy cds you know you just can do this all through the downloadable stuff and you can own whatever it is that you want and that was the state of the art for years so what what happened though is is times have changed and what they found is that you know people don't necessarily want to own their own music anymore you, you don't want to go and buy your own songs. What you want to do is you want to have access to all the songs when you want to hear them. So you've had services like Pandora that, that have that have arisen and Spotify where you pay a fee and, you know, you don't own the music, but you pay a fee. And as long as you're paying that monthly fee, you can go on Pandora and you can, you know, you can own, you can listen to any song you want whenever you want. Now, you don't own it. But you're essentially renting it, so you don't have to go through the whole iTunes stuff and things like that. And I bring this up because last week, Apple announced that for the Apple products, for the Mac products, they were going to essentially discontinue iTunes. And what they were going to do is they're going to divide it into three different things. They also iTunes iTunes was really clunky if you wanted to do digital streaming and things like that to watch TV shows. So they're going to have an Apple Music and a couple other things as well. Your iTunes stuff if if you've got it on a Mac once you download this this Apple Music app, it's ad- automatically going to be rolled into that. So you're not going to lose the stuff that you've had. You know, so all that iTunes library, you're still going to be able to access it. It's just going to be in a different way. If you've got iTunes on um, like a Windows uh, a product, you know, um, on, if you got it on on the Windows product. They're apparently, at least for the time being, not going to change it. So there's not going to be any differences. But, you know, iTunes is coming to an end essentially because, you know, they've decided we don't want to own our stuff anymore. We'd rather stream it. Our number is 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is Apple doing the right thing? 
Is this a recognition? And and look, I I understand we're all probably huge music fans. I, I know. I mean, I know I certainly am. And I went through this transition. I used to go to the record store and I'd buy albums and I'd buy CDs. And then you know, once iTunes came along, what I did is I went through the process of taking all the CDs that I had in my library and I ended up loading them on on iTunes. And now they, they sit there so I can access them at any given time. So I don't mess with the streaming services because essentially the music I listen to, I've got in my iPhone, I've, I've got in my iTunes section. And so that that's where that's where I go to. And when new CDs come out, sometimes I'll, I'll still, sometimes I download them, sometimes I'll buy the CD and I'll just, you know, put it into the iTunes. But I, I've been using that because I, I still want to own the music as opposed to using the streaming services. But the truth of the matter is, I, I think, you know, that's just, that's not the way of the future. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time for iTunes to essentially say goodbye? And like I say, if you've got iTunes and you've got those 8,000 songs that are loaded in it that you've purchased, you don't have to worry because one way or the other, it's still going to be there. You're just going to have to access it in a different way. But is Apple right that the time has come to essentially retire iTunes? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Gru is lining up the calls. We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us. Boone in Milwaukee, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How you doing? Real well, thank you, sir. So, my question was, is you, you know, iTunes has been going on for a good 15 years. You buy a bunch of music, they're going to switch it over to this new platform. So everything you bought, you now have to pay for to listen to again. No, no, no. My understanding, okay. If, if you've got if you've got your iPhone, if you've got your iTunes on a, on a PC, nothing's going to change. That's still going to be it. If you if you've got it on a Mac, what they're going to do is there's going to be this new thing called Apple Music, and once you download the app, I. I Again, I quickly get beyond my depth on this stuff, but all the iTunes stuff, your whole library will shift over to that Apple Music app. So, you know, you're not going to have to buy it again. You'll still have access to it once you do whatever you have to do to get the stuff transferred over. And then whatever you don't have, you'll have to pay for the streaming service. Yes. Yes. Gotcha. Right. Well, Thank- I'm, yeah. I'm with you. I, I want to keep my music. I yeah. You're right. No, exactly. No, thank, thanks for calling. No, and see, and that's that. See, that's the interesting aspect of this conversation. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Do do you want to rent your music or do you want to own it? See, this is the point Justin makes in the text here, Jeff. I think the bigger picture is that we've evolved from people owning their music, whether on records or tapes, or CDs, or in digital form, to a move towards renting it and streaming it on demand. Um, and, and, you know, that is that is actually the key, and that's one of the societal changes that you're seeing going on here. It, it's with the, the whole computerization. And look, and maybe I'm a dinosaur in this regard, but I, I, I like owning the, the music. I, I mean, I have it. I have it in there. But more and more people just don't want to go that route. I can't. I can't remember. For example, the last time I, I bought I bought a movie. You know, I used to down in my basement. I have, and my wife just kind of shakes her head at this because we moved them all from the old house to the new one. I have this enormous collection of. DVDs, because I'm a, as you know, I'm a, I'm a huge movie fan, and so over the years I bought a bunch of DVDs and the Blu-ray discs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. 
I don't remember, well, with one exception, I don't think I have purchased a, a new DVD in the last three or four years. And I, and I used to buy them all the time. But but nowadays, so what happens? You want to see a movie? Well, you've got access to all these different streaming services. And if it's not on Netflix or it's not on Google Play or whatever, you can. it's not on on demand. Well, you can always find the thing somewhere anytime you want. So you don't own it, but you pay whatever, $2.99 or $3.99 or $4.99, and you buy it and you watch it. And then, okay, well, if you want to watch it again, you, you pay for it again six months or a year from now. That is such a, that's such a, a shift in consumerization from where we were, um, you know, where we were uh, just a, f- a few years ago, where we've moved from ownership to renting. It's certainly playing out that way with the streaming content, and now it's definitely playing out that way with, with music, uh, because again, you know, iTunes, um, th- that Apple store, that iTunes store, I, I think I think it's going to be closing, certainly at least for the people that access it through Max. Travis in Whitefish Bay. Travis, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Travis. for uh, taking my call. Sure. I, uh, I like the, the current way. I, uh-huh. I only have about 600 songs, and they're all songs that I really, really like. Uh, I occasionally will buy an entire album, especially if it's uh, my cousin's band, Slow Burn. Okay. A plug for them there. <laughs> okay. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do the free streaming services. I don't really feel a need to pay a set amount per month. It seems kind of wasteful to me. Right. That's just me. Well, no, I, but, of course, you, you and I are becoming more and more like the dinosaurs in that regard, you know, because, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, 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 I've got my music library. I, I mean, I love being able to access it. we got people coming over. You know, it's hooked up. So I'll say, you know, um, you know, Alexa or Siri or whatever, you know, play Alexa, play whatever, and then they access the system. No, thanks for calling, but I, but I own it. Now, here's something. I guess, and this is why I try to avoid getting too deep in the weeds. I have a text here. Jeff, the only music from I, it's only the music from iTunes that you purchased will be able to be transferred to the new Apple Music. Music that you imported on your own will not allow to be taken over to the new Apple Music app. I found this out myself over the weekend. Didn't know that one way or the other, but that, I mean, the vast majority of my music library is stuff that came off of the CDs that I purchased. Um, but again, I, I'm not, I'm not going to buy it again. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. But I, again, I like owning it and being able to do whatever I want with it. Okay. Here's a text. Jeff, it's cheaper. I pay just over 10 bucks a month for an infinite amount of music. If you buy an entire album on iTunes for that price, that's it. Yeah. There's, there's no, there's no question about that. It's just the way things have changed over time. Um, this this is the bottom line, though. How we consume stuff, it's changing dramatically to the idea that these different stores, and I've talked about this before with the, the whole way we used to consume you know, movies. Blockbuster Video, not that long ago, Blockbuster Video was a license to print money. And anybody who would, you just remember what it used to look like in a Blockbuster Video store on a Friday night before the, you know, when the new movies came out. People would just be flocked and they'd, they'd pack into the place, you know, looking for those things. And then, you know, it, it just all went away when everybody went to the streaming sort of services. Now, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's going to be record stores that are still going to be out there. And I'm sure there's going to be places that you can buy CDs. But, 
given the fact that now, you know, we're not even selling the digital music anymore, you, you wonder how much demand for that stuff is going to be, and you wonder if 10 years from now, you know, people are going to be talking about, when you talk about, like, going to the record store to buy the CDs or whatever, or actually actually the albums, you wonder if people are just going to look at you like you have two heads. That's the change that we go through, and I think this is just the latest iteration of that like i say at least my understanding is if you have itunes on a pc nothing's going to change if you your itunes is associated though with a mac well it's going to be dramatically different we'll see how it all plays out okay i'm going to take a very quick break when we come back john and melissa are in we're going to see what they have on their minds stick around this is jeff wagner wtmj